Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Sola. This series covers the five pivotal ideas of the Protestant Reformation. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, glory to God alone. These ideas lie at the heart of the true Christian faith and are as foundational today as they were 500 years ago. Today we're going to be uh, finishing up our series uh, on the five solas where we've been looking at and celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, This coming Tuesday, uh, Halloween or All Hallows' Eve is the 500th Uh, anniversary to the day of when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door. And we've been talking about the five great solas or sayings that kind of summarize the Reformation. And we're going to end today with soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone, and uh, talk about what that means and why it is such an important biblical truth and foundation for our lives. So our text today is going to be Romans chapter 3 verses 27 through uh, 31. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Everything will be up here on the screen, and you've got the card for our actual biblical text. Hear now the word of the sovereign God. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Uh, One of the greatest composers in history was Johann Sebastian Bach. He lived from 1685 through 1750, and he is uh, universally acknowledged today as one of the greatest uh, musical composers in all of history. He wrote a large number of both secular and spiritual works that you can still find today being performed all over. Uh, He's had a huge influence on subsequent composers, Uh, And it's just recognized as an absolute musical genius. In fact, even Steve Jobs, uh, a few years ago, uh, shortly before his death, uh, Jobs commented that when he listened to uh, a piece by Bach being played by Yo-Yo Ma, he said it was, quote, the best argument I've ever heard for the existence of God because I don't really believe a human alone can do this. That's the kind of impact if you listen to Bach's saying. The reason I bring Bach up, he obviously lived after the time of the Reformation itself, but he was deeply influenced by it. He was a faithful Lutheran. And on the bottom of all of his, uh, uh, especially his religious pieces, even some of his secular pieces, he wrote the initials S-D-G. They're on all of Bach's works. And it stood for Sali Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Bach wanted everyone to know that that he had imbibed these understandings from the Reformation and said that whatever gift I have, whatever talent I have, and all that I do, it is glory to God alone. So the question that we want to conclude this series with is, is that a biblical idea 
And why is it important? What difference does that make when you go back to work tomorrow? What difference does it make that we talk about living for the glory of God alone? Well, I want to, again, kind of review these five solas. We did this a little bit last week, but I want to review them and show how they all are cemented together, as it were, by this idea of glory to God alone. We began with looking at sola scriptura. This is the idea that scripture alone is the final rule of faith. And Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 15, in verses uh, 6 to 9, it's actually the, the whole passage runs uh, beginning at verse 1, but he's speaking to the Pharisees. He said, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And so the final rule of faith and practice is scripture alone. Uh, traditions and creeds and confessions are valuable. They're really good. They help us to understand as people have reflected on the truth of scripture. And I will go ahead and tell you, I'm, if somebody tells me they've discovered something new in the Bible, I am highly suspicious. Highly suspicious. Because people have been studying the scripture for millennia. I greatly value the thoughts of those who've gone before. But every thought, uh, whether by an individual human, a group of people, even a creed or council of the church, are to be judged by Scripture. The creeds are true. I believe the Apostles' Creed is true and the Nicene Creed is true. But not because the church said it was true, but because they're actually an accurate summary of what the scripture teaches. And Jesus here is pointing out something to the Pharisees because the Pharisees said they were committed to the word of God, but they were also committed to the tradition of the elders. In this story, he was, they were complaining that the disciples were not following a tradition of ceremonial washings that was nowhere in the scripture. And the problem that we run into is if we do not stand for scripture alone, if we don't have that sola, inevitably the other authorities trump scripture in practice. That's always the way it works. If anybody says, well, I have scripture, but it's scripture plus this, you can bet at the end of the day, scripture will take back seat. That is always the way it happens. It is either scripture alone or else we're going to give in to something else. And notice what Jesus says here. This is no small matter because he says the end result is people are having empty worship. It is empty. It is vain. There is nothing to it because over time it's degraded. It becomes nothing but human tradition. And so this is of the utmost importance because if we're going to truly worship God, Jesus is telling us you have to believe in sola scriptura. Otherwise your worship degrades and it becomes empty and vain. And so as we've seen with every one of the solos, what this means is scripture is not only nece necessary, it is sufficient. That's the large argument that was happening in the church at the time of the Reformation. Everyone agreed all of these things were necessary, but Luther and Calvin and the other reformers said, well, they're not only necessary, they're sufficient. If you have scripture, you have everything you need. Now, in Scripture, what we read about then is what I referred to last week as the nexus of salvation, this web of how you and I are saved. At the center of the biblical story is how sinful human beings are justified and declared righteous by a holy God. And 
The nexus of salvation is seen in these statements, sola gratia, solus Christus, and sola fide, by grace alone and uh, through the work of Christ alone, which is received by faith alone. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, we see a great example of all three of these together. We read that since we have been justified through faith, that's sola fide, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that's solus Christus, Christ alone, through whom we have gained access by faith, again, into this grace in which we now stand. So we are justified because of God's grace alone. God's unmerited kindness, his mercy, and his favor. Grace is not something that comes in and assists us in working our own salvation, which is what the medieval church had degraded down to. It is not something that assists us. It's something that if it's going to be done, if you are going to be saved, if I am going to be saved, it's going to be a work of God's grace alone. God's unmerited mercy and favor alone. And God's grace is offered to us in Christ alone. There aren't many ways. In the time of the Reformation, this was dealing with, well, it was you have Jesus, but you also have Mary and you have the saints. And in fact, you kind of have to add your own works on top of that to, to really activate what Christ did for you. Today, of course, we don't even think Christ is necessary, much less being sufficient. We think that, well, there ought to be many paths to God. But God's grace is offered to us in one place, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other access to the grace of God. And then finally, we access God's grace that is offered to us in Christ by faith alone. That's why it says here that it's, we're justified through faith. And Paul has built over and over in the first four chapters of Romans to say it is faith apart from the works of the law. Apart from anything that we do, we access it by faith. And so in all of these, our works are the antithesis of how we are saved, how God saves. It's God's grace, not what we do. It's what Christ did, not what we do. We access it by faith, which just simply receives Christ's work, not adding anything to it our own. Our works are the opposite of God's plan of salvation. So Grace and Christ and faith are not only necessary, they're sufficient. Where the grace of God is and Christ is and us receiving it by faith is there is salvation. Nothing else needs to be added on to it. Now, all of this leads to the glory of God. If you notice here in the text in Romans chapter 5, Paul, who's just gone through and shown uh, grace alone, uh, Christ alone, faith alone, concludes by saying, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The outcome of understanding from Scripture alone that salvation is by grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, the outcome of that is glory to God alone. And in fact, the entire system is aimed at what's going to bring God glory as opposed to what brings you and I glory. And that's why I said it's really kind of the cement that holds them all together. All of these pieces go together. And the reason the reformers were so strong about the alone part is if you remove alone from any one of the others, it ceases to be glory to God alone. It's we're sharing glory with God, and this is a cooperative effort. And so all of this biblically is aimed so that at the end of the day, God gets glory and no one else does. And so we want to talk about that glory to God alone and how this works and looks. Now, when we go back to our biblical text, 
The, the key issue here in glory to God alone is whether human beings can boast before God. And if our system allows us at the end of the day to say, well, I did X, then you can know you're in trouble. You, you've wandered from the path. The point of all of this is to exclude our boasting. Notice in our text in Romans chapter 3, Paul begins by saying, where then is the boasting? Romans 3, 21 to 26 has been called by some people the central paragraph in all of scriptures where Paul really lays out and says we're, just, we're all sinners, but we're justified through the work of Christ, which is received by faith alone. And Paul concludes it by saying, well, well, then where's the boasting? What do I get to say I did? And notice Paul's answer. It's excluded. There is no boasting. No human being can claim any credit for any part of this. And that, in fact, is the entire purpose of why God has done it. God could have said, hey, I'll give you some ideas and you add your own onto it. I'll give some grace. You do some stuff too. Jesus will do some. You meet him halfway. And yes, faith is important, but your works are going to add to it. But if we did that, then Paul says, then we all get to say, well, the difference is how much I do. I get some glory. But Paul says, no, the whole outcome of this, the aim of this was to exclude our glory. And so notice here in this little paragraph, faith is mentioned five times. Five times Paul says, it's excluded on the principle of faith. For we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. You have the observation of the law, the doing of the law, which, by the way, some people want to say, well, that's talking about just about circumcision. No, it's not. If you go back and read Romans 1, 2, and 3, it includes not stealing, not committing adultery, not worshiping other gods. It's all of the moral law as well. And Paul says we're saved by faith apart from our keeping that. And then three more times he brings faith up again. Faith apart from keeping God's law, apart from our works, is faith alone. And the reason Paul's doing that, and he says that this is so important, is because then you can't boast. There is no boasting before God because you didn't have anything to do with it. You were dead, and God in his grace raised you from the dead. You were running from God. I was running from God, engaged in wickedness and disobedience to God's law. Christ alone has kept the work of God and kept God's law in word, thought, and deed. And we don't even access that by our works. So there is nothing for us to glory in. And so the gospel that saves throughout Scripture is a gospel that gives glory to God alone. I'm going to put up another passage where Paul talks about this same thing. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And I'll kind of comment as we go through here. Notice in verses 26 to 28, Paul says, God did not choose us because of something in us, because we were weak, foolish, and lowly. He tells us, beginning in verse 26, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. If you're here and you proclaim the name of Christ, you're admitting that you're weak 
and foolish and empty. Because if you don't want to admit that, then you can work out your own salvation. That's what it means to be a Christian. See, we, we want to make ourselves something. This is the same Paul who later writes to the Corinthians and says, I will glory in my weakness because that means Christ's power rests on me. To the extent we trust in our own wisdom, our own power, our own righteousness, we don't have anything coming from God. But to the extent that we admit I'm not wise, I'm foolish, I'm not strong, I'm weak, I'm not righteous, I'm sinful. To that extent, Christ's glory comes upon us and his work comes to our benefit. So Paul's saying the same thing there. Notice in verse 29 that he gives us the reason. Here's why. God's chosen these things that are not to nullify the things that are. Verse 29, so that, here's why God did it, so that no one may boast before him. Same thing as in Romans 3. This is why God set the system up the way he has. Because at the end of the day, nobody is going to say, look what I did. On that day, if you and I say, look what I did, it would only be to hang my head in shame. It would only be about how I made a mess of things. No one is going to boast before God on that day. And God designed this entire system so that it would be that way. Uh, verse uh, verse 30 then notice he tells us it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God you were foolish but God gives you the wisdom which is Christ that is our righteousness you were sinful God's giving you that holiness and redemption so your salvation and my salvation is because we are placed in Christ and he is wisdom he is righteousness. He is everything we need from God. That's the system that Paul is talking about. And then notice in verse 31, he continues on and says, Therefore, as is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because as God has designed it, what else is there to boast in? Because all we can stand up at the end of this and say is, I'm weak. I'm foolish. I'm sinful. I'm nothing. There's nothing to boast about there. But what we can say is, Christ is wise. Christ is strong. Christ is righteous. Christ is more than enough for all I need. So my boast is in Christ. This is the same message that Paul brings in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We could run through this many different places. But notice there, Paul says, For it's by grace you have been saved uh, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that. So that, well, why did God do it this way? So that no one can boast. You notice Paul seems to be writing a similar theme. The Romans get it, the Corinthians get it, the Ephesians get it. Paul writes this over and over and over again. God's plan is so that there is no human boasting. So this is why Sali Deo Gloria, glory to God alone, lies at the heart of the Reformation. Because what the medieval church had done and what the modern church, we've seen, as I've been showing poll after poll of not only modern Americans, but even evangelicals that don't understand these things, that rival system splits the glory between God and us. And we think it's a pretty good deal if maybe we'll even give God 51% of it. Maybe. And God, aren't you fortunate that we would do that? But see, that's the problem. The traditions of the church were then equal to the Scripture. 
But as I showed a few weeks ago, people at the, at the evangelical leadership convention denied that there is no one righteous, no one who does good, no one who seeks God, even though that's a direct quote from Romans chapter 3. But they accepted God helps those who help themselves, and two-thirds of them thought that was in the Scripture. Only if you accept Ben Franklin as being a Scripture writer. Okay, But see, it's the same thing we, that they had back in the medieval church. We want our traditions to be equal to Scripture because then my thought matters as much as God's thought. And God's grace back then gave that push, but we had to work to earn our own salvation because then at the end I can say, well, the reason I'm saved and my neighbor is not is because of something I did. And we like to say that Christ was important, but there were other human beings who had done so well they had extra merit to give us. When in reality, we're all bankrupt before a holy God. None of us had anything enough for ourselves, much less to give to someone else. It was Christ alone. And faith was important for them, but it had to be completed by our works because otherwise, how are we going to get any credit in this? Of course, the answer is you're not. That was kind of the point of the entire thing. And so in this system, God was necessary, but he's not sufficient. And friends, if that does not describe the state of much of the American church today, God's necessary. We like to have him there, but he's not sufficient. I mean, somehow this has got to be about me. And so the Reformation recovered the biblical teachings regarding salvation and said in the, the end result of all of this is glory to God alone. That was the, the logical outcome. And it's enshrined in numerous ways. This was not just a philosophical argument. What this had led to before was a degradation, actually, of everything that human beings did. Luther said, if you're a handmaid, you can milk a cow to the glory of God. Everything you do can be a recognition that all I am, all I have, Every gift I've got and whatever I am called to do is actually from God and it is to the glory of God. And so all of life actually becomes opened up as an arena to be able to serve God and to let God serve others through you. Because the ultimate issue in the vocations that each of us have, if you really understand the Reformation, your vocation is not even the way I serve God by serving others. No, it is the way God serves others through you. God is actually doing the work. If you're a mom changing a diaper, God is actually serving and loving your child through your vocation. If you're a missionary or a scientist or a businessman or a politician or whatever you are, God works through that to serve other people. So all glory goes to God alone. And so Luther said, you don't have to be the Pope to give glory to God. You can be a handmaid just out milking a cow. And when other people drink that and it nourishes their body, it's glory to God. And so your work was glory to God. And it opened all of that up. Um, this is why the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was written in the 1600s, mid-1600s, summarized really the entire idea here in their famous question one. What is the chief end of man? Why is man here? What is our purpose? Why were we created? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, next week we're going to talk about enjoying God. But that, you, you see, they've summarized the whole thing here saying this is what it's about. 
It's about glorifying God. That's why you were made. So this other system is not only terrible in that it doesn't lead to salvation, which it doesn't, but it actually undermines your very joy. It undermines the very reason you were made. Because you and I were made to be like planets that orbit around the sun, not meant to be our own suns. It doesn't work for us that way. This is why Bach comes out and with all of his brilliance and everything he could do and write says at the bottom, SDG. This is glory to God alone because whatever I have, whoever I am, whatever I accomplish in this life, it's about glory to God, not glory to me. And because Bach empties himself that way, even uh, a man like Steve Jobs, who was certainly not someone who was given to believing in God, says, man, when I listen to this, I can't even believe that this could be human. I can't even believe this could be human. Because the more we are focused on glory to God, actually the greater benefit that spills over to our fellow man. Because it's the way we were made. So how are we gonna apply the word? Uh, the worship team's gonna be coming forward here because we're gonna conclude this series by singing A Mighty Fortress. But I want us to just think about this issue of recovering solideo gloria today. Here's the challenge for us, and it's what undercuts all of these other things. Very often today we hear a man-centered gospel. We hear everything about man. We are at the center. God is at the periphery to meet our needs. Now I'm going to read you a quote that came from a co-pastor of the largest evangelical congregation in America. Began the meeting, began worship this way. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you do it, uh, when, uh, when you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? And the congregation applauds. And biblically thinking Christians throw up. Who's at the center? Why are we here to worship God? Is it about me or is it about God? I mean, it's, it's worship. <laughs> this is pretty obvious. And and God wants you to do what's for yourself. And Jesus comes in and says, if you do not deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you, you can't be my disciple. The two can't be farther apart. This gospel puts me at the center. But the true gospel puts God at the center. And here's why. Because that's the truth. God is at the the center. We, you and me, we live and we die in a God-centered universe. Here's the bad news we have to remind ourselves of every day. We, we think it's bad news. It's actually good news. The news is the universe does not revolve around you or me. You are not going to make the sun rise tomorrow morning, nor am I. You are not going to command and keep all things going nor am I. In fact, the very air I am breathing to preach this right now is on loan to me from God. That's the truth. 
We live and die in a God-centered universe. And everything else is delusion. And so as a result, it doesn't make sense to say, I'm going to make the gospel about me rather than being about God. So compare what I just read to how the Apostle Paul summarizes at the end of Romans 11 as he's gone through the gospel, justification and sanctification, our future glorification, as he's gone through election and calling. Here's how Paul summarizes the gospel. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Those are Old Testament quotes. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. If you got it, it came from God. It came through God and is going back to God. He's the beginning, the path, and the end. I don't know what else he could possibly be. And so Paul says, to glory be to him. How different is that than what we often hear? Our chief problem today is God's no longer weighty. And the, the Hebrew word for glory, kavod, meant weight. It meant something was, was weighty. It was something to be dealt with. We don't think of God in terms like that today. We think of him as being virtually weightless while human beings are weighty. But I can I tell you, if that's true, then why would we worship him? And why would I trust him when life begins to fall apart? There's no point in doing that. And so we try to stir up faith by doing other things and worship by doing other things. What you really need to do is see God. And when you see God, our reaction is to worship. And so the great need of our day is to proclaim God in all of his sovereign majesty and glory. Now, is that popular with unregenerate people? It's not. I'll go ahead and give you a clue. If you go out and you talk to unregenerate people and you say it's all about God, they're not going to say, well, that's great news. They don't like that. Unregenerate man does not like that. But here's the truth. The only message that saved you and I when we were unregenerate was a message of God being the center, a message of God's glory. We're not saved by speaking about ourselves, but rather about God. To put humans and our wants at the center is ultimately destructive. In aiming for our own happiness rather than the glory of God, we miss both. But we'll talk about it next week. If you and I aim for God's glory, your deepest joy is thrown in as the, the fruit, the benefit of that. Your deepest joy, my deepest joy. So, as we get ready to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, I want to, here's one or two things you can do to help there be a modern reformation. Believe this true gospel that we've been talking about and refuse the false man-centered gospel. Don't believe it. Don't embrace it. Don't share silly posts on your Facebook page that put you and me at the center, okay? And secondly, in doing that, only go to a local church and only support ministries that actually teach the true gospel, that put God at the center, that exalt who God is rather than other things. 
Don't spend your money. Don't support people writing silly books that are just about you and me and how we can be at the center and how God is basically just sitting in heaven waiting and waiting and waiting to be at our beck and call. Because friends, that's not a God who's worth worshiping. That is not a faith that will survive when times get tough. And we don't want to be involved in supporting that. We want to support the true gospel. Because here's the good news. The true gospel did not begin at the Reformation. It didn't begin in 500 AD. It didn't even begin in the time of the apostles. The true gospel has been true because we were called and chosen before the foundation of the world. God has had this plan and been working this plan out from before you and I were even here. The true gospel is God's eternal work and plan. And that plan was good enough to save in the days of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David. It was good enough in the times of the New Testament. It was good enough in the days of the Reformation. And despite whatever we think we've progressed to, it is good enough today. It is the only message that saves. Amen? So what we're going to do is we're going to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This was Luther's great hymn of the Reformation. So let's stand together. And I want you to think about the God that we're singing about in these words as we uh, do this. So, Steph, you can go ahead and put it up there, and we will sing this together, and then we'll conclude with a word of benediction. Father, that is our confession this morning. You are a mighty fortress. Lord, you are the strong tower in whom we can find refuge, the place where we can run. Father, our very confession is not about who we are, but about who you are. For, Father, we admit freely and openly that we are weak, we are poor, We we are naked of righteousness. But Lord God, we confess that you are strong, that you are rich in grace and mercy, and Father, that you have clothed us with the very righteousness of Christ Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that you would keep this before us, not only today, not only this week, but Father, even as we move forward, that we would Uh, be the kind of people, Lord, who are living out of that recognition that it is about you, that you are great, you are mighty, you are the mighty fortress. And it does not matter if the entire world was filled with the hosts of Satan and all that they are trying to do, all of them combined can't begin to match your awesome power. And Father, what you have began, you will complete. We thank you, our God, that you are truly a mighty fortress, and Lord, we willingly give you all glory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Go in the peace of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.